You're listening to KOOP Hornsby Austin 91.7 FM and on the web at koop.org. Welcome to Issues for Your Tissues, the definitive discourse on reproductive health and well-being with your host, Katie Vitale. The views and opinions expressed on Issues for Your Tissues may not necessarily reflect those of Co-op, its board of directors, or anyone else anywhere else. The information offered is not a substitute for the advice of a licensed medical professional, which I am not. Thanks for tuning in to Issues for Your Tissues. Welcome back to Issues for Your Tissues. I'm your host, Katie Vitale. I'm excited to be with you on another Thursday here in Austin. You could be listening at 91.7 FM or online where we're streaming all the time, koop.org, or you might be tuned in at koop HD1, HD3 Hornsby, or you might be listening for the next two weeks at Radio Free America, or at the podcast, which is going to be caught up one of these days, I promise, and I love you for being patient. So if you are enjoying anywhere at any time, I just want to say uh, thank you for tuning into this community radio station and supporting community radio. Uh, You're part of our community no matter where in the world you are. So if you want to learn anything else about it, you can go to koop.org. It's really easy if you're already streaming to open another tab and uh, learn more about becoming a member. There are a lot of links about the things that I just shared and the sources for issues for your tissues available on the schedule page, and you can find that by going to koop.org. 
So we're continuing our Mother's May is for Mothers month of programming here on Issues for Your Tissues. I hope everyone had a lovely Mother's Day and was able to share time with their mom or think about their mom or think about their kids or hold a kid or say hi to a kid. All those things work. Uh, You can be also great aunt on Mother's Day. Mothering is what it's about, so you don't have to have made the child yourself. But if you are making children, or if you have in the past, then my my subject matter today will be uh, extra important or extra um, interesting and something you can relate to on a personal basis. Uh, my guest, Brooklyn James, has written a memoir recounting her <laughs> uh, second, well, her births or the births of her children in the book, uh, Born in the Bed You Were Made. And I just wanted to say thank you and hello to Brooklyn. And she's also, uh, we're, we're lucky enough to have her midwife Genevieve here joining us as well to talk more about the book and about the making of it. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're both here and able to share more with us about the experience that you had. We are, um, so we are, we're talking about the book, and if you're interested at all, you can uh, Google it, or you can go to Amazon and check it out, Born in the Bed, You Were Made. And um, Brooklyn, I was wondering how you got started writing, and when I went to go look at your page, it seemed like there was a lot of stuff before this, and so... When did you start, and what started that for you? (laughs) Well, I started writing about 10 years ago. I mean, I've always written, but um, about 10 years ago, I wrote my first novel, The Boots My Mother Gave Me, and it was my way of working through some dysfunction. Um, I grew up in an emotionally, psychologically um, abusive childhood, and that was my kind of New Year's resolution to myself to work through that, get rid of some excess baggage. So that was kind of the it was the first book I ever wrote, ever had published. And so it was a natural thing for me after giving birth. I mean, something so whew, transformative. And it's I have never experienced anything like it in my life. And so I knew after my home birth, which for me was a second chance at birth after not getting the first birth that I may have envisioned um, in the hospital. And so after having a midwife-assisted birth at home and being able to have a child born and the bed he was made, I decided, you know what, I just have to write about this experience and share. And kind of a thing, too, that really inspired me to write the birth memoir was reading other women's birth stories and going through that process after my first birth. Um, like I said, I kind of I didn't get the birth I envisioned that go round. So in my second birth, you know, kind of searching through that and trying to find um, my birth vision. I read a lot of birth stories, and so I thought, you know what? I am so inspired and informed and educated and empowered by these birth stories. I have to write my own, because if I can share just a morsel of what other women's birth stories did for me, then i got to put it out there. So there have been a a number of... um but a number of books between this one and that one, right? Yes, ma'am. And can you tell us about a little bit about those, or if they were all personally motivated, or sure. uh, con- I, I'm trying to say not not trying to say confessional, but 
um, memoirs or having basis in your history. Yeah, it's it's um it's pretty cool as far as looking at my writing where it is at this point. The first book, I mean, it was a fiction novel inspired by true life events, and then all of the books in between have pretty much been straight fiction. And you know, I write a little bit in the women's fiction, um, contemporary romance, and I even have some thrillers, like some suspense. Uh, what they call them action adventure books like Vigilaire, you know, about female empowerment. And anyway, um, coming full circle with Born in the Bed You Were Made, which is a full memoir, it's kind of neat that I've got that 10 year span between the first book being, you know, inspired by true events, but written from a fictional standpoint because sometimes it's easier to digest the truth <laughs> when you can rewrite it in a way that makes it tolerable for you to see. And so coming around to my birth memoir, you know, this 10-year span of writing it, it's kind of been this really cool circular moment for me, especially um, when you think of it coming out of, like Boots was about, you know, kind of surviving and thriving after a dysfunctional childhood. And then the things that birth taught me from that childhood that I learned about myself in birth. Um, just one for instance, um, I had read some studies that uh, individuals who come from abusive backgrounds are more likely to have cesareans, which my first birth was a cesarean. I had no idea. Yeah. I didn't know that until I kind of started, well, it was essentially when I was preparing for my second birth, when I was preparing for my home birth, because that was definitely one of Genevieve's first suggestions, is to get prepared for this birth. <laughs> and after not being prepared for my first birth, I thought, okay, yeah, preparation is key. I must do this. And so I started looking at myself and how I essentially looked at pain and hurt in my life, uh, my journey through life, and I, after reading a, several of these studies that talked about women who have come up through abusive situations, it doesn't even have to be, you know, um, at the hand of a father. It could be anybody. But the, there is a link between an abusive background and cesarean section births. And one of the largest things was that it's a woman's reactionary response to hurt, pain, um, uh, those types of things where if you come from those situations where you're constantly walking around on eggshells, then when labor presents itself, it's a completely different kind of pain, but it still can be interpreted as pain from the birthing woman. And so it cued me into the fact that that was my response to pain. All of when I was growing up, it was like you either fight or you fight flight, and there was no surrender to it. When in birth, I felt like particularly in my natural home birth, that it was that surrender, that trust, and that acceptance that allowed me to go through that process rather than sitting in fear and pain and distrust, which are all of these little things that you can definitely learn from a dysfunctional childhood. So it's interesting, Katie, that you ask about the first and the last book. Yeah, there have been about nine books between. And so, yeah kind of makes me aware that this is a full circle moment here. <laughs> so we're going to be jumping all over that circle because as we go, I'm, I'm thinking of other questions that I want to ask. Uh, so there was some preparation that, that Genevieve had instructed you. Genevieve, uh, 
what would you say is some of the preparation or what, what do you advise or for your, for your patients? What kind of preparation do they do? Or is it different for each one or where, do, where do you start that kind of process? Wow. That's a, that's, that's a big a question. question huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's come back to that one for just a second. I want to be able to introduce you properly. How did you get started in midwifery? Like where, where and when did you decide this is what I'm going to do? This is what I'm going to do. Well, um, I have four children. They were all born in a hospital, unmedicated hospital births. And I had never heard about midwifery care until my youngest was about three years old. And uh, believe it or not, I had a dream that I was helping a woman through her labor. And um, it confused me a bit because I hadn't been in that situation before. So I told a friend who was um, pregnant at the time, and she invited me to attend her home birth of her baby that was coming up. And that changed everything for me. Um, I got to experience um, a really beautiful, well-supported um, <laughs> situation that I just hadn't seen that done the, before. The woman, she was so well-supported by her husband and her midwife and... Um, so at that point, I tried to talk my husband into having one more child, and uh, <laughs> he declined. Imagine <laughs> um, that. <laughs> but, but at that point, um, that's kind of started the ball rolling for me, and um, then when my children got a little bit older, I went back to school, and that's the last I remember. <laughs> so that's, that's been a while, though, right? Yes, um, I've been doing this job for about six years now. Yeah. Okay, and then let's now we're going to rewind to go back to the other question. <laughs> uh, how do you how do you help people prepare? Because it's such an individual process. Everybody comes to you with different background and right. knowledge. It could be their first or their fourth or fifth child, right? Right. And um, one of the things I, I ask people to think carefully about is um, <clears throat> understanding that we do have hopes and dreams for our perfect birth, <laughs> and, and that while those are important, and while um, I will work really hard to make those things happen, that we need to learn how to do that surrender, that... I believe that birth usually works just as it should. And most of the time we don't need to mess with it. And um, I just ask people to do some really deep thinking about what, how, how they want to get from here to there. How you want to, not necessarily just what the end game is, but how do you want to be treated in the middle? How do you want your partner to be involved? How do you want... What kind of questions do you want to be asked or not asked when you're having your baby? So um, there's a, there are a lot of conversations that we have. You know, there's a, a lot wrapped into it, and uh, it can bring up a lot of things that people hadn't thought about. Brooklyn, do you feel like, uh, well, I guess, of course, you probably feel like that's the case and because you've written about it, but <laughs> what kinds of things were you uh, were you 
thinking about after your first birth that you didn't expect because there's a lot of unexpected that comes along with it. Yeah. So many unexpected things. (laughs) I mean, you know, (laughs) not only did I not get the birth experience that I wanted in my first birth, I was a nurse at the time in postpartum. So I was kind of ensconced in that whole technocratic medical world of birth. And that's how I saw it. It, to me, at that moment, at time in my life, it was a medical event because that's what I saw in the hospital. And, and that's what I experienced in the hospital with my first birth that was induced at 39 weeks and a day from premature rupture of membranes. Um, I was, by all accounts, healthy, low risk, and I didn't want to be induced. And I said, yeah, I would just rather stay home and see how labor progresses. But my OB-GYN in this case was insistent upon my coming in and being induced. And after getting the second call from her office with, you know, this looming risk, fear of risk of infection, I found myself checked in to L&D wing and there we were on this cascade of interventions. And the thing that... I, I never considered cesarean before having a child. And then after I have this beautiful baby that I'm, you know, I've got her and I'm nursing her at my breast and then I'm nursing all of these emotional things that are coming at me, like what, what the, what happened? <laughs> and so in meeting Genevieve, and reading stories, other women's birth stories about how they birth. And I read everything I could from those who, you know, pretty much had the birth they envisioned to those who had their second chance to those who had any types of experiences in hospital, out of hospital, birthing centers, whatever I could find. And in doing all of that stuff, I realized, you know, with my first birth, I didn't read anything because people said, don't read anything, it'll just scare you. Well, hey, there's nothing wrong with being well-informed. A little bit of it did scare me, but it prepared me. It brought me to an awareness. It empowered me more than anything. And, you know, reading books that I'd never heard of, you know, we've all heard what to expect, but then I found birthing from within. You know, these things, these, to me, like just the, that is my what to expect. And that's kind of how when Genevieve and I first met, and she said, I see you're reading birthing from within. I was like, yes, she's the one. <laughs> because that book said everything that I wanted it to as far as me and, and, and my vision of birth. Do you feel like birthing from within was helpful for you? Because isn't that the one... I read too many books myself Uh or just consumed a lot of stuff before (laughs) giving birth. And I feel like, um, that one had the artistic focus. So that one was, must've been right up your alley, right? (laughs) Oh my Lord. It was fantastic. And you know, to be completely honest, the first time I read it, I skipped the art section thinking, oh, that might be a little out there, you know, because it talks about drawing your birth visions and not only drawing them, but casting them. Well, the second time through, cause see, I, when Genevieve and I first met, that was my second pregnancy. But nine weeks into that pregnancy, we miscarried. And it was the words that Genevieve spoke to me through that miscarriage. When I said, because see, on my first birth, when I told my ob I would like to try and labor naturally, she said, yeah, sure, we can give it a shot, but there's no need to be a hero. And with Genevieve... In the midst of this miscarriage, I said, well, I would like to go through this naturally. 
I certainly didn't want to, you know, do any more intervention like surgical stuff off of the heels of what I came through in my first birth. And Genevieve said to me, seven words, so simple, but so empowering. She said, your body knows how to do this. And it was in that moment that it, it was like a switch went off in my mind where when you were asking earlier about, you know, kind of um, when you come to these places and from the first birth to the second birth, was that just that statement, Genevieve saying, your body knows how to do this, was a light bulb moment for me. Just the difference in verbiage, what I heard in my first birth experience and what I was hearing in her office when she was supporting me and empowering me through loss and then later would do that for me in birth. And so I didn't, I guess, even realize that there were such a thing as like rights in birth. I never even gave it a thought in my first birth and in this hospital setting because you can kind of get caught up in all the procedure and protocol. And in talking with her during our second, our third pregnancy, but second birth experience, everything was my choice. The only thing she wanted me to do was think about things and be prepared and come with questions. And she had all the time in the world for answers, it felt like. I could just sit there in her office and talk and everything. And she let me know that even things that were, um, you know, routine, ultrasounds, blood work, it was all my choice. And that was my first introduction to human rights and birth. Access to that kind of care or the care of your, your choosing and care that supports and nurtures you, that, that should be a right that everyone has, but a lot of women aren't, aren't able to feel that or have access to that and don't know that they don't feel empowered to ask for it. What was it that, that made you feel empowered to seek Genevieve out in the, in the first place? Well, it was a combination of things. In my first birth, my insurance would not cover a home birth. That was my knee-jerk reaction. Insurance wouldn't cover it. And so I essentially, they wouldn't cover a birthing center birth either. But like I just knew in my gut, like this natural and midwife thing, that was my thing. But I just, I didn't follow it because my insurance wouldn't cover it. And then I didn't follow my instinct or my intuition. And so I end up with all of this um, cascade of intervention resulting in an unmedically necessary, unmedically or medically unnecessary cesarean, and so it just kind of brought to my attention that you know what, okay, you can go down this road again and follow your insurance and go where it goes or the provider, and and like you said, it should be every woman's right to birth with whom she prefers and wherever she prefers, but I I just knew in my heart that when after that first birth and going through and kind of reading all of these birth stories and moving on to my second birth, I thought, you know what, I just have to follow my instinct and if I have to pay out of pocket for it, then that is what I have to do because midwifery care is so much more affordable than typical OB-GYN hospital care anyway. As far as what was billed out between the two and then what it was worth to me, I would have paid completely out of pocket had my insurance during my home birth not covered even a portion of it. I want to remind listeners that you're tuned into Issues for Your Tissues, and my guest tonight, Brooklyn James, who is an author of Born in the Bed You Were Made, that's available on Amazon, and there's a link to it on the Issues for Your Tissues Facebook page. You can find her on Facebook and on her website, 
so sorry, you guys. It's okay. Brooklyn, what's that website people can go to? Yeah, you can go to www.brooklyn-james.com. And then with us also is Genevieve, uh, her midwife in her second birth. Genevieve, how can people find you? Um, let's see. My website is called sistersmidwifery.com. So we're, we're lucky to have you here tonight, Genevieve, uh, in that you have clients and could be uh, called away at any moment, right? Or how does this, how does this work? <laughs> yes, pretty much. I'm on call 24-7. Um, I have uh, clients that I see in the office a couple days a week, and then I'm just ready to get a call when somebody's ready for a baby. And uh, a lot of women aren't familiar with midwifery care or getting that kind of care. And uh, what does that entail? Are there, you know, lots of appointments like with um, the regular doctors or OB/GYNs? Yes, um, I have the reg- the same schedule that an OB/GYN would have. I I see my clients prenatally once a month until they're 28 weeks, then twice a month until they're 36 weeks, and then I see them weekly until they have a baby. Um, maybe one of the be- what maybe one of the best parts about um, midwifery care is the postpartum care. Um, I'd make two postpartum home visits and two more office visits with my clients. So I see everybody probably four or five times after they have a baby. And that's a really important time. We've been talking or on the show, and lots of folks have been talking about the fourth trimester and how important that is mm-hmm. for the recovery, and uh, not just the recovery, but for making those, uh, continuing to make those good decisions like people did during pregnancy and being able to recover because even the best birth is, is a trauma to the body, yeah. right? So what are, what are some things that... that you get to cover in the in those appointments postpartum that um, that I, I guess would be left out because a lot of people don't get to. Right. They might get one postpartum appointment, like if they're on Medicaid, or right. uh, typically get two, maybe if they were high, right. high risk. Well, a lot of my postpartum care has to do with breastfeeding, um, and and that's awesome, and that can be a really tricky time for new parents. Um, breastfeeding is, a it, <laughs> I believe it usually works as well. Um, but there can be a lot of trickiness between babies and mamas, um, helping people navigate, um, family and friends who want to come and see that beautiful new baby, but maybe because they had a baby at home, they think that, um, they're just welcome to come and stay <laughs> as long as they like. And so we talk a little bit about preparing um, your family and your friends for what your family's postpartum time together wants to look like, um, how much intervention and how many <laughs> visitors they want to have, that kind of thing. That's a really important thing that to go into the birth plan that a lot of people don't end up talking about. Uh, and it can be difficult to negotiate on, on the spot as well when people are wanting to come in and wanting to, uh, you know, insert themselves into your family dynamic. Right. Um, how, how did you negotiate that, Brooklyn, especially uh, given um, the, the background that you had? Like, how did you decide uh, what, what that would look like? Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting to kind of talk about this because I know that um, not only just in the, the days postpartum, but even just 
the difference in having my first birth and my second birth and thinking about who I wanted in the room with me when I was actually birthing. And in the hospital, um, my first birth, I had my husband and my mom. And in a certain way, um, my mom, whom I dearly love, <laughs> but there, there probably was a little bit of her stress and her anxiety in the room that didn't necessarily help me either as far as consenting to the cesarean and things of that nature. Like, I became more worried about her worrying about me <laughs> um, than I was about what I wanted in that birth. So for my second birth at home, um, and then I, you know, like Genevieve had said, I had asked myself these questions and prepared myself and even prepared my husband, my birth partner, and my mom, we essentially, she was so gracious to take care of our daughter for us while we were birthing our son at home. And so she kind of, you know, she took her out for walks and to the playground and kept her entertained, also gave her something to do rather than being in my birth sphere. <laughs> and, and it was a good mix for us. It was a good thing that she could do to be helpful. And it was great for me. And my husband, who I had had all of these conversations with about what I wanted specifically and what was okay and what wasn't. And so that's a really important thing to clarify those things. And then postpartum, it was great to be able to have my mom stay with us for, golly, she stayed with us for quite a few weeks. Because, you know, adjusting to two rather than one, that was a completely different ball game. But so it was great having her there. But it was nice to be able to say, hey, mom, I love you, but in this birth, it's just going to be me and Wade, and you know what? We could use all the help that you will give us with Mila and taking care of her needs while we're tending birth. I can't imagine trying to uh, have a baby and take care of a child at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> that so... Uh, Anyhow, I'm grimacing over here. You guys aren't seeing that, but I'm, I'm sure you can imagine what that might be like, or at least try to. Uh, I wanted to remind listeners, you're tuned into Issues for Your Tissues, and my guests tonight, Brooklyn James, a local author and mother who has written uh, Born in the Bed You Were Made, and that's available on Amazon and in other places. And she's also, uh, we're also joined by her midwife, Genevieve, who is here. And you can find both of them online. We're going to share the links to those um, at the Issues for Your Tissues Facebook page after the show. But we're going to take a quick break and be right back in one minute with more Issues for Your Tissues. Welcome back to Issues for Your Tissues. I'm your host, Katie Vitale. Tonight, we're talking with Brooklyn James and her midwife, Genevieve, about the birthing process and about her memoir, Born in the Bed You Were Made, which is uh, all about home birthing. And and, I just wanted to continue that discussion. Again, you can find links to the book as well as uh, Genevieve later tonight on the Issues for Your Tissues Facebook page which you can access if you go to koop.org and go to the Issues for Your Tissues page where there are links to all the things I'm talking about. So uh, let me get back to Brooklyn here. When we were, or when I was reading in the, in the uh, book, I found that what was really remarkable to me was your background as a nurse and how that might have, it sounded like it empowered you somewhat, but also to see these procedures as maybe not elective procedures, but as, I don't know, menu items uh-huh. that, that kind of you end up having to, 
to choose through oh, yeah. and, and how that's really different from the process you had the second time around. Can you tell us more about your background as a nurse and how you feel like that made the first experience different for you than if you had not been a nurse? Yeah, definitely. I feel like um, being a nurse, there's a certain level of detachment. Uh, You know, I worked in ICU initially out of uh, nursing school. And there was, for me, there was a a large level of detachment there because oftentimes it's nearing end-of-life care or particularly critical moments of life care. And in order to be able to do some of the things that are required of you as a nurse, for me emotionally, I definitely had to get a little distance between the emotionality of the patient-centered care versus the technology of what I was required to do in order to help that individual live or at least have whatever peace they could in passing. And so in carrying that over into postpartum, there was definitely, I feel like, in me, the type of person that I am, after seeing C-sections and C-sections and C-sections, you know, whether it was in nursing school or taking care of women in postpartum, it definitely becomes part of the norm, the, the standard, you know. Um, I, I can say, you know, there, we had, obviously, we had vaginal births in the hospital that I worked in as well. But um, when, when you overall look at it, the, the cesarean rate is increasing, and we saw that in our hospital. We were one of those who had a 33-plus percent cesarean rate. And so as a nurse, once you see all of this, it becomes quite normal, unfortunately. you know. And so I feel like going into that first birth, that was the atmosphere I was in. And although it never dawned on me that I would be the one of those 33% to leave the hospital with a cesarean, it definitely wasn't anything new to me. And I feel like had I not had that experience going into it, potentially I would have been a little more open to the process of learning about birth or learning about birth preparation or things of that nature. Whereas being a nurse, I knew maybe a little bit too much. And so I pushed away from information like I don't want to know anymore because, you know, all of, as a nurse, you know all of the things that can go wrong because <laughs> that's kind of what we see in the hospital environment. I mean, if, if, if people need us and if it's high-risk birth, if that's why you're here, then that's what we're going to see a lot of. And I think that potentially, you know, when you're looking at medical schools and if this is the clinical education that's out there, then we are generation after generation who probably views birth as something clinical and medical rather than a normal physiological process. Right. So it seemed like in trying to mitigate the risks that would have been involved with your birth, had you gone about it naturally the first time, a lot of other new risks were chosen. Right? Is that? Yeah. 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 I see what you're saying and completely when you, okay. Okay. So what I, how I look at this is there is no such thing as risk-free birth in any setting. Birth is, who was it that said, birth is the safe, is the safest life gets? It's, it's a, it's a quote. Birth is the safest life gets. And if you think of it in that respect, and if you go to your intuition and your instinct and you think, you know what? Um, oh, there's, how about, you know, rather than fear leading 
my decisions and risk, what if I chose, made my choices, and thought about things and, and came at that from a place of hope? You know, like the, I think that I'm going to go with another another quote here. There's a Nelson Mandela quote, may your choices represent your hopes, not your fears. And so that's how I came out of my first birth and into my second birth, because there were so fear and what if led the entire process of my first birth. You know, it was, okay, let's induce you for prom at 39 weeks in a day, because we're, we have a fear of risk of infection. Um, after 12 hours and Cervidil didn't work. We're going to move up to Pitocin because we're on the clock now because of this risk of infection. And then, you know, after that, it's like everything moves up and you're on the clock post-haste and everything's based on risk. And when you have to ask yourself as a patient, you know, as a nurse, I understood the, the risk. And when you look at it from an outsider's perspective, what risk are we talking about? Are we talking about tort and liability? Or are we talking about me as a woman, as a pregnant woman, are we making decisions that are based in my best interest? Or is it the best interest of procedure and protocol and that fear and that risk? If we don't do something, then we may be liable. And so I didn't want to go that route, you know, with a second birth. And, and some people can think, well, you know, it's quite risky to give birth at home, isn't it? Well, is it? I, I could ask that question coming from when you look at my two birth experiences, how is it that I birthed at home naturally and it was the most beautiful, transformative, efficacious experience I ever could have imagined, but yet I was that same healthy, low-risk pregnant woman in the hospital and I ended up with the full cascade of interventions and a medically unnecessary cesarean with multiple postpartum complications because of it. So I think that each individual woman has to measure that risk. She has her own risk assessment. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, I, I guess I hope for every woman that that risk assessment comes out of her hopes, her dreams, her visions, and not her fear. You bring up a good point that um, at home birth... Uh, is looked at now as risky, despite the fact that it was commonplace until, you know, within the last 50 years, would you say, Genevieve? <laughs> yes, I don't know what exactly how, how the dating lines up, but for millennia, babies were born at home, and yes, some babies died, and we, of course, don't want that to happen, um, but we definitely have a risk assessment that we do to, to mitigate those risks at home as well. Right, and then lately it's, it seems that, uh, you know, Texas is the most dangerous state to give birth in in the nation, and local programs and statewide programs to make midwives and doulas more accessible to women giving birth are actually improving the outcomes for women, which is for some counterintuitive, despite <laughs> this, this background that we have uh, as a, as a nation. Could you tell us more about how you address or mitigate those risks or what, when is a client or a patient contraindicated for home birth? If people are interested, um, sure. Uh, there are a couple of things that will keep you, you know, kind of out of midwifery care. Very few um, 
hypertension and diabetes are really the two big ones. Um, you know, Brooklyn had a previous cesarean section and so that raised her risk a little bit. Um, but if, if you'll read the literature, it's not a significant higher risk if you stay within certain guidelines. Right. So, um, let's see. Well, that's okay. You don't have to get into specifics, but people can find out more on on your website, right? Sure. And that was Sisters Midwifery? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So people can find out more about it there, or also they can look at some other resources online. There have been some documentaries, and I I almost said recently, but uh, (laughs) the business of of birth and some other things that have come out and the business of being born yes. uh-huh is yes. a it's it's been out there a little while and then there was a second one i think more business of being mm-hmm. born there's another one called why not home where a group of doctors chose to have home births um and they're really interesting because they give a perspective from the medical standpoint that shows you why doctors and nurses are now starting to to choose home birth Mm-hmm. And it's still a very personal choice. And uh, Brooklyn, when you talk with other moms about your decision, were were they supportive or were they? What was the reaction like from other people? <laughs> well, I felt like there was a little bit of a mixed reaction. I didn't give people a whole lot of room to react. Anyway, I kind of kept it, you know, coming off the heels of the miscarriage with our second pregnancy in between our first and third birth. I was happy to just keep everything secretive as long as I could and just kind of marinate in this being expected, you know, being expecting because the miscarriage did teach me that, that expecting is the perfect term because you're not promised anything, you know? And I thought, well, I'm just going to keep this under wraps as long as I can. And once it got to a point where I was showing, I didn't bring it up to anybody you know, willingly. But if they asked, I would tell them. And I would support that with evidence, like evidence-based things that I had read and about, oh, well, but did you know that, you know, technically their home birth, if you would look at the statistics, is no more riskier than hospital birth. In fact, some t- statistics would say that it is, um, a lot of statistics would say that it is more efficacious than hospital birth as far as from a woman's viewpoint what she wants out of her birth what she gets out of her birth and even things down to um, perineal tearing which is on the mind of any birthing woman (laughs) the the evidence supports that the midwifery model of care is efficacious in giving women the types of births they want and also safely and sagaciously doing so particularly when you know um Things are implemented where, uh, like I knew with, with Genevieve, it had already been set out that, okay, the closest hospital to me is five minutes away, and, and she knew she had a working relationship with this hospital, so that would be where we would go in case of an emergency. But the general consensus for people who would ask, and I would say, yeah, we're having a home birth. Uh, what? <laughs> I was like, what is home birth? And then you'd start talking with people, and it's amazing the interest, the curiosity, while also this kind of like dumbfoundedness, like who does that and what is that, you know? And I remember my mother 
being kind of one of those who's like, ooh, you know, and you always get this, ooh, well, you know, I want you to do what you want to do, but I just want you to be safe. That was kind of always what was thrown back to me. I want you to do what you want to do, but I want you to be safe. And my mom was one of those. My husband was one of those. He, he, he thought to himself, he even said to me, you know, why don't we just schedule a repeat cesarean? But after seeing my home birth with Genevieve, my husband attended me, and my mother was in and out taking care of Mila. And after she saw the home birth and the aftercare that we were all just talking about the postpartum care, she was like, if I could go back and do it all over again, I would call the midwife too. <laughs> and I was like, see, Mom? And Wade, my husband, oh, God love him. He, he, he kind of got several scoldings for the one comment that he made, why don't we just schedule a repeat cesarean and be done? What did you just say to me? <laughs> like, I'm not going to come through a, a first birth that I had to argue about my choices and recognize that I even had a choice. I'm not going to argue about it with my husband. This is what I want to do. You're on board, right? Yes, I am, honey. And anyway, and I acknowledged, you know, his concerns. And I'm being a little facetious here, but I did. I showed him evidence-based articles and studies that I had read and even asked him some questions that he had specifically to Genevieve and would relay those answers back to him. But now, after experiencing it, he is like the largest proponent of home birth. So if you, in the occasion you meet him on the street, run, (laughs) unless you want to hear about home birth. (laughs) So it can be, or cesareans seem so commonplace now or so regular, people just schedule them still. Uh, that that it, it's kind of it's almost trivialized when it's it's a major surgery and can have complications like any other major surgery. Yeah. And I I feel like there's not any other surgeries that are trivialized in in that way, and certainly nothing comparable that uh, that that men endure and uh, it's surprising to me the the way that we're we're conditioned to just say just do that when when it can be dangerous and it 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 can be not necessary when you were uh brooklyn when you were writing the book board in the bed you were made when you were writing about the experience of going through that, was it like reliving it for you? Was it hard? Did it take time because you were feeling all these feelings again? Or what was that like? Yeah, I don't think, I don't know that I will ever fully get over the sensation of realizing, you know, about two, three, four weeks after my medically unnecessary cesarean after realizing that that's what it was. Cause like you said, you know, cesarean for what it really and truly is when warranted is to me, a testament to a, a woman's body and the capabilities that it can go through to bring forth life when, when it is needed, you know, but like you're talking, yes, there is this thing about it now where it's almost as if we are told and then believe that it's this safe, in and out, uh, conveyor belt, convenient 
way in which to, quote-unquote, safely birth a baby, you know, because they have all these monitors, they have this technology, and, well, we can just go in there and do this and boop, where studies will have, like, I have read several studies that say that to have a repeat cesarean is technically there is no more risk in having a VBAC than there is in a repeat cesarean. And, and you know, certain studies that would, would err on the side of the VBAC being safer than the repeat cesarean. And so, yeah, like you're saying, I don't understand why this, this information is there and why we have to go looking for it or why it's there. And then we even have to say to an OB-GYN, but this, there is evidence that suggests a VBAC is safer than a repeat cesarean. When that same surgeon uh, or obstetrician may have you believe, or there may even be hospital policy that says you can't have a VBAC here. It confounds me that that is even a thing that we can, <laughs> that if a woman wants to take a cesarean for what it is, major abdominal surgery. And in my case, you know, I ended up with golly, postpartum hematoma, uh, wound dehiscence that tunneled, and my husband had to pack it, bless his heart. And then it was rounds and rounds of antibiotics, and then an intestinal infection because of these overprescribed antibiotics. So, cesarean is not quote unquote convenient and safe, it is major abdominal surgery. And for women who need it, yeah, nobody disputes that. Even a woman who elects it, it is no more my right to question what it is that she is choosing for herself than it is for her to do, you know, question my home birth or or my choices. I just wish that there was a way that the evidence could finally come to the forefront rather than protocol and procedure that it seems so much of the medical obstetrical world comes out of. I want to remind listeners that you're tuned into Issues for Your Tissues. And my guest tonight, Brooklyn James, local author and mother who wrote Born in the Bed You Were Made, that is available online. Uh, and she's brought her midwife Genevieve here to talk about her choice for home birth the second time around. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with more Issues for Your Tissues. Welcome back to Issues for Your Tissues. I'm your host, Katie Vitale. I'm joined in studio by Brooklyn James, local author and mother, and her midwife, Genevieve, who are joining me tonight to talk about birth stories and Brooklyn's choice for home birth the second time around. Oh, we forgot to mention the Bookwoman event. So there's an event where people are going to be prompted to talk or to write their birth stories. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. It's on uh, Sunday, June 2nd at Book Woman. It's off of North Lamar, I think like 5,500 block. Um, Anyway, yes, we are inviting women to come by, just say hello, share their birth stories, um, basically kind of discuss anything that they want to about women's rights uh, in birth, particularly, and also to just kind of consider the uh, anatomy of and the importance of writing your own birth stories. So yeah, we'll be there from at Bookwoman uh, Sunday, June 2nd from 4 to 6, and we invite anybody to stop by. We Hey, even birth partners, we want to hear your birth stories too. <laughs> everyone has uh, everyone who's been through that has a story, no matter which where they were yeah. as that took place, and that is 
Is that home birth, the home birth holiday or home birth recognition day of the year? There is home birth June 6th is International Home Birthday. Woo-hoo. And we just had International Day of the Midwife. We did. Was yeah. that May 5th or 6th? Oh, gosh, I don't remember. <laughs> earlier, we were going to say earlier this month yes. was the Day of the Midwife. So yes. that's a day to celebrate those um, midwives who help people through this uh, transformative process. Definitely. So what, what else do listeners need to know before they read your book or before they give birth or at any point in Brooklyn? Yeah. I would say that if I could tell any woman out there right now or listeners, just kind of know that you have rights in birth and pregnancy and labor and birth. It was something that never even dawned on me. I mean, heck, even as a nurse in a hospital who knew about patient advocation and who had advocated for patients who weren't comfortable advocating for themselves, and it kind of dawned on me that I was not prepared to advocate for myself. And so I would say to anybody listening, just consider your choices, your vision, and know that you have just as much rights in birth as you do in anything. And even if, you know, we talk about informed consent, um, we talk about, am I allowed? You know, the the verbiage gets thrown around a lot in maternity care. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, you're allowed. Like, Nobody is allowed to not allow you kind of that little quote thing. Yeah, like I want people to know that. I want you to know that you have the right to informed consent, and you have the right to change your mind even if you've given informed consent. And I want people to know that you have the right to your body. You have the right to your birth. You have the right to say no and be heard. Like you have the right to a patient-centered evidence-based birth and finding Genevieve and midwifery brought all of that, all of those choices and those rights to me. It it brought to my awareness that they were there because in my opinion, having delivered with Genevieve and even gone through prenatal experience with her, she empowered my choices. She first acknowledged them and then she empowered them. And I felt that was the first time in any birth experience that that had happened for me. And Genevieve, what should listeners, what else should listeners know about this? (laughs) Well, I, I, I love what Brooklyn said. There are a lot of amazing midwives in Austin and Texas is a great place to have midwifery care because it is licensed in Texas. But um, Austin in, in specifically has a great uh, network of midwives who many of them work together and support each other. And it's, it's a really, um, I just want, pe- I, I'm like Brooklyn, I want people to know that that's the choice, that that choice is out there. I didn't know that when I was having babies. And uh, while my story isn't traumatic or anything, it would have been different had I known. <laughs> yeah. So I want to thank you both for uh, sharing your stories with us tonight, as well as for letting us feel more empowered, whether or not we choose midwifery or whether or not we choose uh, hospital birth or if we choose to birth at all or to choose how we go about miscarriage or just making these choices for ourselves and and knowing that that's available to us. I'm, I'm so thankful that you can remind us 
or that you have reminded us of this because so many people feel like they don't have a say in their health care. So I appreciate the work that you're both doing and and looking forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Of course. (laughs) 